Hello and welcome to OECD on the Level. I'm Bill Bilo. I'm going to tell you something you probably didn't know or perhaps didn't think about much. Just like humans, chickens have unique facial features that allow them to be individually identified by facial recognition algorithms. You're going to learn what that has to do with blockchain technology and why it's just one of the reasons some are calling blockchain or distributed ledger technology the biggest technological revolution since the internet itself. Blockchain is also changing traditional notions of trust and how we achieve it. To tell us about all this, we're going to be talking to Greg Medcraft, who leads the OECD Directorate for Financial and Enterprise Affairs. This is part one of our two-part podcast series on blockchain. And in this first edition, we'll be focusing on the blockchain basics. Welcome, Greg. Thanks, Bill. Well, good to be here. Let's start at the beginning. What is blockchain technology? Why block? Why chain? So blockchain uh, is a catch-all term for a combination of technologies uh, which have come together to create uh, networks that are capable of securing trust between people that have no reason to trust one another. And in fact... In some respects, the technology isn't actually new because the cryptology really the Jews dates back to the, uh, the Second World War. So, and obviously, the uh, some of the distribu- distributed ledger technology is not necessarily new. But what it does is combines all three together. So you've got the distributed ledgers. So we're basically the same information is stored in a number of different places. Now that in itself is not unique, having distributed ledgers, different nodes. But the key thing is the second thing, is the cryptology, because that allows uh, secure transactions or data um, to actually be uh, recorded and then encrypted um, on that distributed ledger. So combining distributed ledger and the encryption, okay, which means you can have trust. The third element, which is new, is the network protocol which actually governs the network and actually verifies transactions or transfers of value across the network independently and automatically. So what basically that standard protocol is you become a node, you load that um, protocol onto your computer and you become a node and therefore it's, it's actually what verifies uh, what's in the, uh, the network. A block is actually created when one party sends data uh, for example, a, um, a digital coin or a piece of data uh, to another party over the network. And what happens is that it contains information about a transaction or just simply data that needs to be secured. And what it does is actually tells um, the who, the when, the what, and actually shows that, you know, the, um, that the ownership of the asset has changed or the data has changed. So every time an asset is transacted or data is changed, it creates a new block. And these blocks are linked cryptographically, forming a chain through which you can trace the entire transaction of a particular asset. Uh, so you can see who's held it at any one time. Or in the case of data, uh, secure data, you can see the history of all the changes in the data. So what that actually means is you have a revolutionary shift in the way uh, value is represented and transferred, or data is securely updated and held uh, in the digital economy. You know, what blockchain does is allows us to create digital goods and data that are unique and can't be duplicated. 
that inability to duplicate is very important. Therefore, transactions can be undertaken more cheaply, more efficiently. Who controls a blockchain and how? Where is the brain? Well, the beauty, Bill, of blockchain is that it's not controlled by any one entity. The network exists across a series of nodes, which again is the computers that store the blockchain information and contribute also to verifying uh, the transactions. So while there's no brain per se, uh, there are rules governing uh, the network, that is the network protocol uh, I mentioned before. And, and these rules set out how the nodes verify data and transactions, it's based in algorithm uh, in the network and once it's set up, basically it sits on your computer and it runs autonomously. So that's the way the node works. And these rules are set and agreed by all nodes on the network. Um, and then you can basically have faith that the transactions over the networks will actually be governed in a particular uh, uh, predictable way. And that's where basically the trust comes from the system because if you think about it, the nodes are like a bunch of people sitting around going, yes, Yes, thumbs up, we all agree. So basically a transaction or data can't be changed unless all those nodes actually agree to that change. So as you were saying, each user is a node in a peer-to-peer -peer distributed network. Yes, that's right. So it's worth pointing out there are different types of blockchains and different types of nodes. So the difference comes down to whether information stored on the blockchain is uh, public or private and whether potential nodes and users on the network need permission to join or not. So, so you've really got a, a, a taxonomy of public, private, permission, not permissioned, okay? So in a public, unpermissioned blockchain, such as Bitcoin, it's public, it's, it's uh, unpermissioned, or Ethereum, anyone um, can actually set up their computer to become a node on that network and contribute to the network. So by basically uh, implementing the governing protocol. So if you buy Bitcoin, you've got a, a, uh, a wallet, uh, you establish yourself as a node on the network, you're on. But you're um, verified, your existence is verified by the exchange that you're going through. Correct, okay. correct. But, but, but in, in fact, when you transfer the, the Bitcoin, you can exchange for an exchange, but when you tra make the transfer, you're actually still, basically you are the node now on that uh, that blockchain. Which is carried forward for Correct. as long as that. Yeah. Uh, so the exchange facilitates the transfer, but your, you know, your digital wallet has become the node, your computer has become the node that uh, verify that you are the owner. And the next party along uh, that buys it, um, one day, if it goes to 10 other parties, your computer will still be verifying that yes, that Bitcoin was once mine and this is, is genuine. So if you think about it, the more nodes you have, uh, the fact that they're immutable, actually the more security you have because there's more people verifying that say, okay, that person's fine. And this can be scaled up infinitely. You can add as many nodes as, uh, as you yes, want. There's no limit. Yes, that's correct. Except that the, the problem is that the more nodes you have, uh, potentially the slower it is because there's more, it takes time. I mean, not that much time, it's very quick, but it does potentially right, affect. Right. Um, so you also have public permission blockchains, okay, which are systems where the information's public, uh, and, um, but 
To write new information or verify transactions requires permissions from a, a central authority. So for example, that could be something like is being implemented at the moment is a blockchain based land registry where basically you can go and check who the owner of the, the land is uh, for that, but at the same time to actually enter onto the registry uh, you've got to have the right permissioning. So it's permissioned and it's public. It's public because everyone can see that it's you that owns it, but the actual getting, you know, to change it requires the uh, the permissioning. Landers is very interesting because what it means is suddenly you have immutable evidence of your ownership of the land. And in many countries, this is a big issue. Many countries, this is a big issue yeah. where land uh, entitlement can't be verified for some reason or other. And taxes can't be levied. Correct. <laughs> uh, and actually that's why I believe the Swedish government are currently looking at um, uh, a blockchain-based land system, uh, title system, uh, because they're looking at it also as a method of efficiently collecting taxes. Because what it means is suddenly if it's virtually updated all the time, you can then um, issue uh, taxes, land taxes, to everyone on the blockchain overnight. Would you store uh, geographical information on the blockchain itself or a reference to a given I, Well, interestingly, uh, what I think the Swedish looking doing is linking it to the GPS reference as well. Okay. So it's physically linking the digital and the physical. So then you've got private blockchains, okay, which are, again, usually permissioned. Uh, and nodes, again, uh, need to be approved by some form of central authority, and the information can only be used, because it's private, only used by members in the network. So the central authority, again, doesn't need to be a single entity. It could be a group of entities that actually decide on the authority, and that often happens in a private blockchain. So, so these kind of permission blockchains are being used where perhaps groups of competitors are, you know, need to work together. For example, in the banking system, interbank transactions, uh, clearing and settlement, or uh, transferring accounts between insurance providers. So the information, it's a private blockchain. It is normally permission, but that's where you're getting a lot of uses, say, for example, in financial services where, or even in supply chains, where basically you need to know who you are to get access to the chain, but essentially information can move very quickly. So you've got full nodes that actually host an entire copy of the ledger. You may have light nodes that only have a part of the ledger, which will have elements. And that often is the situation in a, a private blockchain. Um, they may, let's say the Australian Stock Exchange is looking for clearing and settlement. Now, the Australian Stock Exchange will have the complete blockchain or the ledger on its system. But you, as a holder of an equity security, will only have access to your right. particular part of the chain, which is your account on the chain. Uh, many of us know uh, about blockchain, blockchain through Bitcoin. Um, you touched on this a bit, but what is the relationship between Bitcoin and blockchain? I think that people kind of tend to mix the two up and they're two this, different This things. is a major issue, is that confusion, because whenever you actually talk about blockchain, people will go, oh, you mean Bitcoin. So <laughs> let's clear it up once and for all. You know, um, uh, Bitcoin is a subset of blockchain. Let's be clear. So, <laughs> but interestingly, uh, it was one of the first uh, uses of blockchain technology and the first to utilize many of the basic characteristics I've just talked about in terms of blocks and data and secure or whatever. So the ability to capture unique digital value and transact with unknown, untrusted parties was obviously perfect for a, a global digital currency. 
but it was also that good and that anonymous that actually is why it's given concern to tax authorities and money laundering sure. around the world. Yeah. So, but again, Bitcoin is just one application of blockchain. Let me emphasize. So it's actually like how in the early days of mobile phone, texting was one use for the technology, but clearly not the only one, right? It, right. It's one use. So and it hasn't taken long for innovators to apply these tools to other situations where data uh, needed to be verified and transferred between parties, okay? And so the new applications have been configured their networks in different ways to Bitcoin. For example, new ways of verifying transactions now have occurred. So you, as you know, with Bitcoin, uh, you have the proof of work, which actually proves the ownership okay mm-hmm. now but again that consumes huge amounts that's the mining is that correct it's right. the mining the proof of work and that consumes huge amounts of electricity to solve the mathematical problem behind it but now what you've seen evolving is other ways or well, for example in a permission network you don't need to do that right because we know one another but in an unpermission network there are new ways to actually verify that your ownership rather than actually have these complex mathematical problems right. So, you know, Bitcoin did introduce a unique idea, a unique digital token that represented a kind of value that could be owned and transacted. But as you know, uh, the other thing about Bitcoin is it's based on a, basically a mathematical formula where there is 21 million coins that exist and I think 15 million have already been mined. So it's basically on a supply-demand curve. But basically it's, re- it's backed by nothing at yeah. the end of the day. So right. uh, it works while it works. So yeah. uh, I guess it's like confidence. You know, until you, while you've got it, it's okay. It doesn't go. But I think what really is interesting about the evolution of blockchain is tokenization. If you, you want to think about the most exciting thing from here, it's tokenization, which means that basically you can take an object in the real world and create a digital token representing that asset on the blockchain that actually itself can be transacted and tracked digitally. And we talked about before, for example, uh, taking real objects. Um, we talked about land on land title registry. So suddenly, like if you think about it, what a title to land was previously was a piece of paper right. that represented your ownership of a physical asset. So all that blockchain is doing is taking that that piece of paper and turning it into a digital asset and now representing it, that piece of physical property. Really, that's all you're doing. Rather than actually representing it by paper, you're representing it digitally. But also the reason it works digitally is because it's it's basically, it cannot be changed. It's immutable. So therefore you can have trust that if if this basically says you are the owner digitally, that can be trusted because it cannot be changed. It's immutable. With now, the cryptology that's attached to the, um, the cryptology plus the, the protocol, so. But like uh, a like a paper uh, like a paper deed, uh, you have to possess the deed in order to possess the land. Technically, correct. Uh, is that not true? A bit with uh, if you lose your encryption key. If you lose, you your, lose your if you if you lose your encryption key, you've got real problem. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. If you lose your keys, but uh, you've got a problem. Yes, you do. So don't that, don't lose your keys. Don't lose your encryption key because that's your way in. And that's, you know, we'll talk about that later. But, I mean, that's often how um, Bitcoin, for example, has been hacked. It hasn't been they've hacked the network. They've actually hacked somebody's account and stolen 
the uh, the cryptographic key. Right. I hold some Bitcoin, and wow. uh, the one thing you want to make sure is you actually they always say make sure you write down. <laughs> yeah. Write down the cryptographic key. Take a photo of the cryptographic key. Have multiple copies of the. <laughs> put them, not lose put them in safes around town. And <laughs> Don't lose that. But I think it's important people understand that um, tokenization is quite powerful because it is very interesting. Taking example of a land title or a share certificate for clearing and settlement, because suddenly, what it means, it's more liquid. It can be more easily settled. Uh, you know, it's the benefit of, of digitization. Mm -hmm. so that 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 combined with the fact that it 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 actually you can feel that it that value is secure, that title is secure, that's digitally right, right. represented, is really important. Well, I think tokenization takes the unique identifying features of a physical object and records them uh, on a digital token to link the two. Okay, so for example, and probably more efficiently than is done today, for example, with, say, land titles, because there's nothing really linking your title physically other than, you know, the fact that it says where it is, okay? So you can do this a number of ways. For example, one, blockchain-based property systems that tokenize land can actually be tied to GPS coordinates. So you can see it, but actually you can check the GPS yeah. coordinates that it's actually your land, right? right? So it's linked, so you can't change that. Uh, which is better than what we have today, if you think about it, because mm -hmm. it's it's it, you can't double, you can't duplicate the GPS coordinate, right? right. Um, secondly, diamonds have been tokenized using tiny QR codes that are actually inscribed on the girth of a gem, for example. Okay, QR codes are often used, whether it be in food or other things. QR codes are um, the unique way of linking a physical object to a digital uh, tokenization. The other thing, for example, is uh, radio frequency identification, RFID sure. technology, is again another way of linking the physical with the digital, okay? And then the third one I think that's fascinating is facial recognition it is incredible. Say, for example, um, livestock have been tokenized using um, facial recognition. Really? It, okay. Well, yes, and it's quite interesting. It's actually chickens in China. Interesting. And it's an insurance company that actually provides insurance and chickens. And they have, um, they each chicken, when you think about it, it's quite logical. We all have different facial recognition. Animals do as well. <laughs> so but I never you, thought about it, but, but yes. That but means. if you think about it, and it's unique, each sure. chicken is different. So this company who insures chickens actually knows that if the chicken uh, is, they insure against sort of natural disasters of chickens. And again, they use um, big data, artificial intelligence. So if somebody claims that there was a thunderstorm that actually hit my farm, destroyed my chickens, the big they use um, smart contracts that to actually they check whether the event occurred and who the chickens were and then they pay out automatically with a smart contract so they connect the dots but but if you think about this in ranching or whatever sure. you think about now actually you know you you're trying to record your um your cattle or sell your cattle if basically you have for example a drone that goes around and takes photos of all the cattle you're trying to sell and you go here they all are um, this is where they are because of the GPS. You, basically, you don't need humans involved in that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You record the cattle, and you know who they are. You have a drone. And it's just actually 
connecting the dots with the technology. I think it's quite fascinating. So let me just come back to this really important point. Um, blockchain goes beyond its role in cryptocurrencies. Absolutely. The technology can be used wherever you have three things. One, multiple parties that actually need to store, access or write data. Secondly, where there is a complete uh, lack of trust between parties involved, therefore they don't know one another, don't necessarily trust one another. And then thirdly, and this is the driver of why everyone's spending billions in this technology, is that basically it's in a situation where um, parties need to interact with, with one another um, directly rather than through an intermediary. And it, basically the benefit of blockchain comes from actually removing intermediaries, which speeds up and lower costs. So, uh, and if you think about it, when the internet began to be more widely used, if you think about it then, could anyone have conceived of being used to control the input into our energy grids or to help us arrange to pay to get into strangers' cars? I mean, I think that where we are with blockchain, uh, the technology is a platform with many uses that we can scarcely imagine today. I think we're going to see a, really a, a revolution uh, built. I, it's not just on distributed ledger, but if you combine distributed ledger with uh, smart contracts, with the internet of things, with artificial intelligence, I think you can really start to see quite an interesting picture developing. Some have drawn parallels with the creation of open source uh, software and coding uh, where everybody contributes uh, to it and that took about 10 years to kind of come into its mm -hmm. own and now we you know take it for granted mm -hmm. uh, do you think this is a similar situation where we're going to see a, a gradual build-up and then it's going to become just I think so I'm not sure lives? how much of a gradual build-up I think with the billions invested in distributed ledger today I think it could be a very fast I think it'll I think it's like anything it's like when we talk about electric cars people have been talking about electric cars for years and you know I think there's probably one of those things where you'll build you'll build and then there'll be a tipping point and then the tipping point will become uh, you know it's a bit like when we first started uh, talking about um, uh, you know internet I when I was on Wall Street in 2000 in the uh, uh, I guess the the big boom then, somebody said to me once, he said, uh, he said, really, we talk about the internet, but he said, you know, internet one day is going to be a bit like the turn of the century when you talked about electricity. He said, it's just how you get things done. You go to the internet. And he said, when you're going to turn on something, you plug it into electricity. You, you didn't question how did the electricity get there. You just know that's... And right. I think the same comparison, I think, will apply with distributed ledger technology. It's like, well, that's just how you do things. I agree. It's yep. like open source. Oh. I think with some of the distributed technology, uh, I think it's really uh, technology that is really only matched by the internet itself. And it really does come back to the idea of trust and the ability of people who don't know or trust one another to transact with one another. And when you think about it, the requirement for trust between people doing business is an age-old problem. So think, for example, when you're buying a house, it usually entails in essence, handing a large amount of money over to a stranger in exchange for a deed of a property. But there's no guarantee that you would receive the deed if you simply handed over the money first. So equally, the seller has no guarantee that you would pay her. If she, so you have this problem of the first mover, right? Right, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so 
as a result, that's why we often have intermediaries. You think about yeah. it, whether in France they might be a notary sure. that assures that trust, okay? Um, and we have people that that act between us, um, and that's the case uh, with banks like payment systems or solicitors and courts. Or if you think about it, it's actually what online selling platforms like Alibaba and Amazon do. They act as an intermediary between the buyer and seller to underpin that trust, mm -hmm. okay? But suddenly with the advent of distributed ledger, you don't actually need that trusted intermediary because you have new ways of establishing trust, okay? And if you again combine that with things like the, the crowd, like social networks, this is what we're seeing evolving at the moment with distributed ledger combined with social media as a way of actually going, it actually adds to the trust layer. This mm -hmm, is what we're mm -hmm. seeing, the business model. So there's no guarantee, you know, that, uh, that this may be the way of the future, but it certainly looks like it. So mm -hmm. if we think about it, as a result, we've got intermediaries, people, organisations, institutions, who, you know, basically they allow that commerce to happen. But, you know, the only problem with that bill is it creates extra layers um, of cost and time. Um, and also those parties can sometimes have incredible market power themselves. So one of the beauties of distributed ledger is democratisation, okay? It does actually create a sort of a more even playing field in terms of the fact that people actually don't necessarily need um, major platforms to actually transact with mm. one another. So, you know, if you bypass intermediaries, you get faster, cheaper transactions. And that's where the value really lies in blockchain. You know, but blockchains are not without human interaction. Blockchain, uh, they, 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 you know, they're not, they are, they can be fallible, for example, you know, if you log something into a physical item like a diamond on the blockchain, distributed ledger, um, you know, the um, it's like the old um, saying, garbage in, garbage out. So if you put the, if you get the token, the the physical token incorrect on the diamond right. and it's recorded on the, on the distributed ledger, that's, it's still garbage in, garbage out. So the, essentially yeah. it's, it's not... Um, now, when you take a diamond, for example, a diamond, I think, is each diamond is unique. Mm. Uh, it's not just advertising, I think. Correct. That, uh, no, it's correct. Um, and so uh, attaching a unique code to that makes sense. I've heard that, the, for example, in cobalt mining, people are trying to find a way of using uh, uh, blockchain technology to assure the, you know, where the cobalt is actually coming yep. from. Yep. But there it really depends on the kind of system you build on top of the chain to make sure that it's not wrong information, wrong attribution going into the system, yep. and then everybody believes it's okay all the way through to the end, mm. when in fact uh, human fallibility remains an issue in that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think link. from the physical side, you've got to still have checks and balances. Yeah. So you may record on the diamond or take a picture of the diamond if it's unique, if that works, but then you should have somebody checking that that ID yeah. is correct. It's a bit like with, um, you were talking about in mineral supply chains, you want to check that there's not child labor being used in the, you know, this supply chain, but equally you need somebody physically verifying that that's the that case. That's the case, yeah. But what you then do is digitally record both um, actions on the distributed ledger so you can see uh, you know you can see the recording of the uh, action 
right, that was right. done that you didn't involve and the person involved with, right? But also, you also suddenly the physical verification and that record on the on the distributed ledger. But the beauty of this is that it's all done on your handheld device. Yeah. Which okay. is wonderful because either you don't even need to own one, all you need to do is have access to a distributed to a, a handheld device, right, right. and you can use the distributed ledger, and that's why it's very attractive in developing countries. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, one of the other things that um, uh, I think is really important about blockchain is, as I said, once a transaction or piece of data has been agreed by the nodes and it's entered on the ledger. Uh, you basically can't change it or erase it. It's immutable. And that's one of the difficulties. So if you get it wrong, <laughs> if you get yeah. it wrong, it's wrong. Uh, forever. And, uh, <laughs> forever. And uh, you then would have to, uh, you would have, yeah, basically you've, you, you would probably have to cancel the transaction and start again because uh-huh, it, it uh-huh. Does, it's actually wrong. Or right. you would have to amend it, right? And go yeah. and do another transaction to right. amend it. So, mm-hmm. And mistakes do happen, but as I said, Input data can be tampered with. So, as I said before, if you lose your, if somebody hacks your wallet and gets your keys, they can change the ownership of the coin. So that happened with Mount Gox with the theft of yeah, bitcoins, right. and which was known. And then you also have the theft of Ethereum from the distributed autonomous organisation or the uh, the DAO project. So those assets were they took. It's a bit like you know they took your your pin and right. they used it to take cash. It's the same. You can't actually then trace that cash. The cash is gone. Right. In this case, where you could see it on, you could essentially get to see the tracing on the distributed ledger, but because it's it's Ethereum and it's Bitcoin, it's anonymous, so you can't right. actually trace. You can see, maybe, but you can't trace it. <laughs> well, not <laughs> which easily. must be very frustrating. So it's immutable, and there are issues around privacy and data on distributed ledger. You know. Uh, that you know everyone can see it but again it is often you can see the the code but you don't necessarily know who it is so right. there's a di- debate it's there but you can't actually see who it is so um, but I, I do think that uh, the EU is thinking about how they approach privacy in, in distributed ledger but the other thing about distributed ledger is it could enable self-sovereign identity so the use of decentralized storage to uh, um, cryptically um, cryptographically enable permissions. So basically, you can store all your data, the private data, on the on the as a node on the distributed ledger. And rather than giving people all your data, you can actually just control what you need to see. So what you're seeing evolving is distributed ledger um, privacy systems, where you may only actually want to just. Uh, give some elements of who you are. So, for example, uh, in tracing health care records, that would be ideal because you certainly don't want everybody necessarily having access to your no. personal health no. information. In fact, what you may be is you may be part of a, a distributed ledger network that actually says if you if the service you're demanding is you know yourself, Bill, basically, you all you will do is confirm yes, I'm I'm fine, and the provider goes oh. Okay, they've been verified. I don't need any of their data. I've just verified who they are. Mm-hmm. I don't need to have their birth date, their address, whatever. So you shouldn't have to share your private data. Okay. So this is quite interesting. A lot of governments are looking at this, uh, especially after the recent, um, as you know, the recent Facebook uh, problem on privacy. I think we're getting a lot of discussion about using distributed ledger on that. 
What is a smart contract and how can it be used? Smart contracts make up uh, an important part of many applications which run on blockchain networks. Basically what they are is, they're basically simply an algorithm. Okay, they're simply an algorithm that actually uh, says if certain conditions are met, they're not actually that smart. Basically, it, it, it's an algorithm that says if all these things happen, therefore this happens. That's all it simply is. It's, it's a very simple algorithm, uh, but a very useful algorithm. So, for example, if, uh, if you receive goods, okay, they're delivered, if basically it's confirmed they're delivered, um, the smart contracts actually then pays for the goods. I see, okay. Okay, so it's pretty simple. So if a certain, or if a certain date occurs, the algorithm says if this date occurs, if nothing else has happened, pay for it. It's not that, but it's very useful when you apply it on a, on a large scale. So what they do is they augment the underlying protocol of blockchain with an additional layer for more complex transactions. And basically, you know, parties agree beforehand that these algorithms um, are self-executing and enforceable. They allow trust and, again, they bypass the need for having lawyers, etc., to actually... But basically what the algorithm does is embed what is effectively the contract in an algorithm. So um, smart contracts are being explored at the moment in a lot of different industries with, uh, for automatic settlements, like in, in catastrophe swaps in agriculture. So basically, if something goes wrong, the farmer gets automatically paid. So for example, as I talked about before with the chickens, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it essentially is a storm, your crops have been destroyed, it's confirmed, bang, you get paid. Or if there's an insurance for, against airline delays that's being used by AXA here in France, um, they've got a, a contract which has an algorithm, smart contract. If flight is canceled, it's confirmed with big data that it was canceled, you get paid. Right away. Correct. Because it's a smart contract, it happens You don't away. go to an adjuster, to you the, don't have to wait for exactly. somebody to... So, you know, data stored on blockchains, automation, uh, you know, can occur. But again, we're in early days here. Uh, they're still looking at how you embed uh, contracts, uh, you know, legal realities into smart contracts. But I think it's something that the... Um, uh, the legal and tech communities are currently looking at the moment how, you know, you basically make sure they are enforceable, right? You've been listening to Greg Medcraft, head of the OECD Directorate for Financial and Enterprise Affairs. The OECD is hosting the Blockchain Policy Forum on September 4th and 5th at our conference center in Paris. The name of the program is Distributed Ledgers, Opportunities and Challenges. For more or to register, go to oecd.org daf. That's oecd.org slash daf. And don't miss the next installment of our two-part series devoted to blockchain. We'll discuss more ways blockchain technology is bringing value to real-world situations and the role of the OECD at the interface of industry, government, and blockchain innovation. Check it out. This is OECD on the Level. Thanks for listening.